All right, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is your Uncle Jimmy coming to you straight out of the rock and roll garage, bringing your weekly dose of Grease the Wheels, the automotive technician podcast that uh, gets you upset and excited and pissed off and maybe makes you laugh. I don't know how you feel about it. You could certainly tell me if you want. If you don't want to, that's fine, too. Hey, I was uh, cruising around the Internet. I found some more stupid shit on there. Oh, shocker. I know. And I wanted to kind of comment on it. You know, I'm getting kind of, uh, I got to say, used to finding really, really dumb stuff on the Internet about cars and mechanics and things that people think about cars. And uh, and just I like to take them and uh, rip them to shreds because they're really, in many cases, in today's case, they're very uninformed, uh, very mechanically idiotic in, in many cases here. And then they're trying to pass this off as, I don't know, content for some sort of a, a website somewhere that maybe some people take seriously, hopefully not. Uh, I've come to the conclusion that you really can't take a whole lot of shit from the internet seriously, and I, I certainly hope you don't. If it's a YouTube video and it's something that you can see, you might be able to take it seriously. If it's something you hear on the internet or maybe even something you read on the internet, definitely, definitely, definitely question the source and verify the information because there is a lot of wrong and stupid shit out there. And most of the time, it's passed off as being, well... Intelligent, I guess that would be the word. A lot of it is definitely not intelligent. And here we go. I'm going to start in. This is a uh, an article that was written. It's called Setting the Facts Straight on Common Car Myths. And I had to read this one beforehand because some of this stuff is just stupid as shit. The first car myth out there is electric cars are more likely to catch fire. Really? Because uh, that's just not true. I mean, yeah, an electric car could catch fire. So could you, actually. There are actual rare cases where a human being suffered instant spontaneous combustion and uh, caught fire. It happens. It's rare, very rare. And it's especially rare for a uh, uh, an electric car. Sure, there's stuff on an electric car that can burn. Uh, I've told you before on this site that anything on this planet can burn if you get it fucking hot enough. Catch steel on fire? Sure, you could do it. You have to fucking get that shit really, 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 really hot. But it'll happen, okay? Now, there's a lot less stuff in an electric car that can actually burn. Sure, an electric car could be uh, involved in a situation where uh, some of the voltage from the high voltage batteries, which can get up to you know almost 400 volts, quite frankly, uh, could conceivably create a thermal event of some sort, a short, that would superheat something. And yes, they could catch fire. But it is uh, way less likely that an electric car without a gasoline-powered engine could catch fire because gasoline is obviously flammable. Thank you very much. And all of the shit that goes into an electric car is typically not listed as flammable. But, uh, you know, in certain situations, yes, you could create a situation where there's a lot of heat. And where there's heat, there's smoke, there's fire, there's damage. And so, yes, an electric car could conceivably catch on fire. It is just really highly unlikely. It's much, much, much more unlikely than a gasoline-powered car. Okay, gasoline-powered cars don't catch on fire that often. But they do. That happens. But, I mean, you know, when you've got, uh, I think in this country, the latest figures are right around 300 million cars. You know, you could have less than one-tenth of a percent of cars catch on fire and 300 million. It's still quite a few cars. So it, it can happen, and, and it will happen. Don't kid yourself that it can't happen to you. Don't kid yourself that it can't happen in your shop or outside of your shop or on the road in front of your house because 
Uh, I've set cars on fire by accident. I might say, I must say, okay, let me just get, let me just clear that up, Mr. Prosecutor. It was completely by accident, but I did set a car on fire uh, and it would appear to me, I think it was 18 at the time, that the reason for that vehicle catching on fire was something so idiotic that, uh, that could not have been prevented. And it was also definitely not uh, something that was done purposely. And uh, actually the results were probably better than to be expected. So, uh, and, I'm not, and I don't want to make any further <laughs> comments on it than that, but you should be ready, at least in the back of your mind, for something to catch on fire, especially in your shop. You should always have fire extinguishers and that sort of shit in there. Uh, consider that for a second too. As, as an automotive technician working on cars and sometimes working around flammable materials, you should have in the back of your mind some sort of a thought out, even if it's just like in passing, a thought out plan of what you would do and if something in your shop caught on fire. God forbid it doesn't happen. But if you think about it for more than 10 seconds, and then it happens maybe two, three, four days later, or months later, or even years later, you'll be like, oh, wait, I know what to do. Boom. And then you know either where the fire extinguisher is or was, and where there might be another one, if that one that wasn't there. You'd also know that you have to get people out of the out of the shop. You also know how to dial 911. These are all things you have thought about before you had a fucking problem. So just a word of caution there. Don't think that shit won't catch on fire just because it usually doesn't. It can, and someday you will probably experience the fact that it will. And it's always going to be at a bad time because anytime a car catches on fire... It's going to be a bad time. That's 100% of the time. Uh, moving on here. SUVs are safer than small cars. Well, they can be. It all depends because it's kind of a, a generic sort of a, a statement really here. What kind of small cars are we talking about? And what kind of SUVs are we talking about? And what kind of uh, unsafe situation are we talking about? Now, if you're in a crash, you would probably think that you would like to be in something large. But this isn't always necessarily the safest fucking thing because if you're in something large, that means the inertia of that particular vehicle, you know, weighing anywhere from two to three to maybe even four tons. If you crash that son of a bitch into something, all that inertia from all that weight is going to want to keep you moving with all with a lot of kinetic energy built up into it. It's going to want to keep moving. And even though the front end has impacted something that made it stop, the back end is going to continue to keep going until something forces it to stop going. And hopefully, hopefully it, it isn't your body or your wife's body or your kid's bodies or, or some other shit that's in your car. Okay, because if you hit something, everything in your car is moving at whatever speed you're going at. And then very, very, very quickly, everything in your vehicle comes to a stop, but not all at once. And you'll find that out the first time you bounce off a windshield or a steering column. Uh, you'll find out. So a bigger, a bigger vehicle, a bigger SUV may not be the safest thing out there. Now, with certain safety innovations that we have in vehicles now, obviously a newer vehicle is going to, a newer, larger vehicle or a newer SUV is going to be way safer than, say, a really, really small car built in the 60s or the, even the 70s. Let's just put it this way, okay? You got a brand new Cadillac Escalade and it's loaded with airbags and seat belts and crumple zones. And, and if you hit something really hard, the engine's going to shoot out the bottom and not end up in your lap. And that's going to be way fucking safer than a Volkswagen Beetle. Because if you crash them both at the same speed into a brick wall or anything else that's solid or, or not movable, uh, you are more likely to survive in the Escalade at 
anywhere, any speed really up to probably even 100 miles an hour, you're more likely to survive it in that vehicle than you would be in your basic generic <laughs> Volkswagen Beetle with nary a safety feature in sight. Because I'll tell you something right now, when Ferdinand Porsche and Mr. A. Hitler came up with the uh, idea for the Volkswagen, safety was, believe me, not one of the things that they were thinking about. Uh, Just so you know. And that car survived uh, for a long time as useful transportation for a lot of people, but it was never, ever considered safe, ever. It might have fucking floated, and it didn't use a lot of gas, but it was never, never safe. So to say that uh, SUVs are safer than small cars... It just depends. I mean, it's just too general of a statement to be really true. So we're just going to kind of discount that one and move on here. Okay, here's another one. Another myth that they put out there that, that you believe in and in, in probably is true, but maybe isn't. And it's another one that also doesn't make a lot of sense too. Muscle cars can't turn. Well, I can vouch for that. Muscle cars turn all the fucking time. Because, I mean, if I'm going down the road and I go to drive by my house and it's a 90 degree turn into my driveway, I'm pretty sure my muscle car can make that turn. Okay. So my muscle car actually can turn. It does it all the fucking time. So really, it's just a, it's just another one of those too general to be true in all cases kind of statements that doesn't work for me. Okay. Now, what they're really trying to say is that they don't handle very well. Well, of course they don't handle very well. When you take a car and you put a good 70% of the mass weight of that car in the front and then you start throwing it around like a dart and you want it to turn, it's not going to want to do that. It's going to want to keep going in a straight line. No matter what the fucking tires say, no matter what the brakes say, it's going to want to keep going straight. You know, maybe you can get it to turn, maybe not. It's called understeer. And, uh, Quite frankly, uh, muscle cars of the 60s and 70s, you know, Mustangs and Camaros and Chevelles and GTOs and Dodge Chargers and Dodge Challengers and Plymouth Cudas and all these kind of cars, Ford Mustangs especially, they they were front heavy, baby. You threw them into a curve, man, they wanted to keep going straight. They didn't want to turn. And you can hear the tires screaming for their lives when they did turn. All you have to do is watch the chase scene from Bullet. You can see two cars that don't want to turn turning anyway, okay? What they're trying to say here, though, is that uh, cars that handle typically aren't considered muscle cars. Eh, I don't know. Newer cars uh, that are considered muscle cars, such as, you know, the Challenger and the newer Camaros and the newer Mustangs, they go fast as fuck in a straight line. And, oh, by the way, can uh, turn at a pretty good clip. And uh, I think a lot of people autocross these cars because they do have a lot of power and they can turn and they have a heck of a lot of fun and maybe even win every once in a while. Who knows? Uh, I haven't checked in on my friends who autocross lately, but uh, I know the newer cars can. So, And they're considered muscle cars because they have way more fucking power than they need. So that really isn't true. Uh, has, I mean, you know, the, the way it was written, sure. Sure, it's true. You know, you got a 68 Olds 442. You certainly wouldn't want to autocross something like that, not with a great big cast iron 400 engine up between the front wheels. Every time you turn them, they're just going to be like, you want to turn? <laughs> That's funny, man. All right. Next myth, they wanted to blow apart. All SUVs are good off-road. Well, here we go with a whole general statement being not true in all cases. Yeah, off-road. Well, anytime you leave the pavement, that's off-road, right? And you can drive. I don't give a shit what you drive either. You can drive any car you want off the road. You can drive it across the lawn. You can drive, <laughs> you can drive it across the football field. That's all off-road, right? Now, I think what they're talking about here, and you have to kind of use a little bit of, of your own imagination. What they're talking about is, are you going to be able to take it to a mud bog and get through it? 
fuck? No, you're not going to be able to get through it. Today, <laughs> today's SUVs and, and other other cars and, and trucks that are considered SUVs are they're wimpy as shit. Don't give me that crap. You know, I had uh, and just borrowing on my own experience. I used to have a, a 2001 GMC Jimmy, and it had pretty good ground clearance, and it was more of a truck than an SUV to me. Anyway, at least I used it like a truck. And uh, it could haul some people. Okay, cool. But it was more of a truck than the SUVs today. But it was not more of a truck than the SUVs that had gone before it. So uh, when we talk about SUVs not being good off-road, I think that's bullshit. I mean, you throw some tires and a lift on them and maybe give it some sort of uh, juice to the engine, maybe nitrous or maybe a bigger fucking cam or something like that. Well, it can fucking go off-road along their four-wheel drive. They don't give a shit. And how far you go off-road and where you go off-road and basically what you go through off-road has a real has a more profound effect on whether or not your car is going to be good off-road or not. Because I'll tell you, I, this is this is a guy's honest truth. I had a car years ago. Was a, Of course, it was a Cutlass. But this thing seemed to be able to drive through anything. I mean, literally, I would take it off the road into a field full of snow on purpose, by the way, and just keep driving. It would go and go and go and go. I don't know exactly why. I mean, I don't think it had posi. I mean, I don't remember checking it for for posi tracks. Maybe it did, and maybe that explains it. But I could get this thing to go anywhere. I drove it off the road all the fucking time, and it's just a regular stupid two-wheel drive 71 Cutlass Supreme, and, and it, would, it would, I, I swear to God, I never got that thing stuck, and I tried. I tried. It was in the days before I could afford to buy a Blazer or a 4x4 truck or anything like that. So to say that an SUV is uh, good off-road, uh, yeah. Well, you have to classify what you mean by off-road. Obviously, uh, you know, a brand new uh, Ford Bronco with a four-cylinder Ecotec and, and maybe maybe four inches of suspension travel. It's not going to be a real good rock crawler, not in its stock fucking form. So you have to kind of uh, classify what you're talking about here, where you're talking about, and what you're talking about with what you're talking about. Does that make any sense? Probably not. Okay, here's another one. Uh, here again, a little bit too general to be true. Four-wheel drive is better than snow tires in the winter. Well, got some experience here. Four-wheel drive is definitely better in the snow. Okay, you got you got all four wheelers or maybe just two on opposite corners churning away in in some deep snow. That's pretty good. If you've got tires with any kind of tread on them at all, yeah, that's better. If you've got four wheel drive and you've got some aggressive tires, maybe even snow tires, yeah, extra good. Okay, and then I mean I've coming from the a place where it snows like mad sometimes. I've driven through three feet of snow with my Jimmy. Had had uh, I, what did I have on that? BF Goodrich TA radials there fairly aggressive and uh you know I, I dealt with the road noise but when i wanted to drive through shit that i wanted to drive through like snow deep snow they just went the car went so good tires and four-wheel drive are better than shit tires and four-wheel drive of course it is but are snow tires better than having four-wheel drive i, I really don't think so no i don't got four-wheel drive and you got regular tires on them as long as they have good tread I would think that that would be better in in foul weather than just snow tires on a two-wheel drive. Maybe some of you out there who might disagree with that statement, it's certainly fine. You're certainly allowed to. Uh, Some snow tires that, uh, and because there's different kinds of snow tires, there's different kinds of snow tires for different kinds of uh, vehicles, by the way, too. Uh, Obviously, uh, the the best situation is to have four-wheel drive, to have ground clearance, and to have good tires for traction in poor weather whether or not they're actual snow tires. 
because snow tires are, are a, a separate kind of a thing. If you're not from the north, you might be surprised to learn that snow tires are extremely soft and they're designed to last one fucking season. So for any of you out there who are using these things, three, four, five, six seasons, fucking man up and get a new set, okay? What the fuck? And, and, and... If you're going to keep snow tires for your vehicle and have summer tires for them, get some extra fucking rims, okay? Because your technicians hate like a motherfucker to keep having to take tires off and put new tires on your rims every six fucking months. Knock that shit off. Get an extra set of rims and bolt them on yourself, you fucking lazy bastards. All right. Next. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to make that turn into a diatribe about people with fucking snow tires. Ended up there. Uh, next up, convertibles are unsafe in a crash. Well, it depends on what kind of crash we're talking about here, right? You flip a convertible over. You got a rollover and you're in a convertible. Kiss your fucking ass goodbye. You were probably going to die. And then it went on to say here in this article, in this little, uh, I don't know what you even call these things anymore. It's somebody's idea creative. It's not very good. Uh, convertibles are definitely, definitely less safe than hardtop versions of cars. Uh, however, it is not safe at any point in time to crash a car at all. doesn't matter if it has a roof, a folding roof, or no roof, or what, or nothing. I mean, if it doesn't even have a fucking windshield, it's going to be dangerous to crash your car, okay? To say that one car is safer than another one is to suggest that all accidents are the same. And, oh, by the way, guess what? They're not. Now, if you roll over a convertible, are your chances of getting hurt or dying better than they would be if you were in a hardtop version of the same car? Fuck yeah. You're more exposed. Suppose you roll over on a fire hydrant, and that fire hydrant wants to try to occupy the very same space that you are with your body. You are going to fucking lose, okay? Your body's fucking softer than a fucking fire hydrant i know mine is a little bit anyway uh and so if you roll over a car a convertible onto a fire hydrant and that fire hydrant wants to be in the driver's fucking seat when you're belted into the driver's seat guess what you're gonna get a lap full of fire hydrant and it probably is gonna kill you okay now if you do that same thing with a hard top the car might just kind of bounce off of that somewhat because there is some structure there. There is some sort of deflector shield, I guess you could say there. Maybe the sheet metal and the and the uh, backing reinforcements for the sheet metal that support the roof there and also the car, by the way. They're going to probably save you or at least cause you less damage and maybe even help keep you alive. Who knows? It's You know, you can't gauge all car accidents on the same yardstick. You just can't do it. Now, what they're trying to say in here is that convertibles are safe because they reinforce everything. Well, they can't reinforce the fucking roof now, can they? So that's kind of bullshit. So are you less safe in a convertible? Fuck yeah. Suppose something drops out of the sky. I mean, just, you know, this doesn't happen very often, but I'm sure it has. I'm sure somebody out there has a story about an airplane, something falling off a plane or a helicopter or an overpass or anything like that, or a big, tall fucking tree or a high-rise building and having it land either in or on your car. Okay. Now you have a hard top car, boom, it hits the roof. But if you don't have a hard top car and you're just chilling there, getting some sun, next thing you know, you could have a lap full of who knows what. And at terminal velocity from 101st floor of a building in a city somewhere, if it lands in your lap, it's likely to fucking ruin it. That is your lap. And maybe if it just lands six inches farther back, it hits you in the top of the head, splits you open like a fucking piece of wood. So yeah, convertibles are unsafe in a crash, uh, but so are regular cars. Uh, No car is really 
all that safe in a crash. Sure, they've made them safer, but they're still not safe. Okay, so let's just uh, let's not sugarcoat it at all and say all oh, convertibles are convertibles are real safe. Yeah, where's the fucking head airbag coming in a coming from in a convertible? Huh? Where's that coming from? All right, here's another myth that they decided they wanted to take on. And again, I want to just say this about this. Uh, this is all just like garbage stuff that they're saying here, really. And uh, it's showing me that they don't really have a good grasp of how a car works and, and what should be done. And the next one is another example of that. You should change oil every 3,000 miles. Well, you know what, folks? That has sort of gone by the wayside. Now, that used to be a very common oil change interval for cars back in the day that didn't have turbos. They didn't have superchargers. They didn't have fuel injection. They just had a carburetor. They poured fuel in there uh, in the same manner to which you flush a toilet. And so uh, there was always going to be a lot of extra garbage in the fuel from that. It was always going to be a lot of extra fuel in there. Carbureted engines are, and I hate to admit this because I love them, but they're very, very, very inefficient. Very inefficient. Let's put it that way. Inefficient? I don't know. Is that the right? That's not the right terminology. But inefficiency is the order of the day with a car with a carburetor on it. That's why they had to disappear. Uh, we wanted to get less carbon monoxide out of the cars. We wanted them to stop spewing emissions. They were killing people. They were destroying the environment. So we had to do away with the carburetor. The carburetor was a very early antiquated device that just, like I said, basically was like flushing a toilet. You just poured fuel in there and, and whatever happened, happened. And a lot of that fuel, if it was excess, got pounded past the piston rings and maybe even and got into the oil and maybe even uh, caused other stuff to get washed out, you know, such as the, the cylinder walls and that sort of stuff. And so engine oil needed to be changed more often just because you had a lot of fuel running through that motor and some of it ended up in it. And that was never a good thing. Nowadays, nowadays, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have a lot of advancements. And this is from even like 30 years ago, okay? 30 years ago, all motor oils were pretty much conventional and almost all cars had carburetors. Now, now, my friends, we have fuel injection. We have much tighter manufacturing tolerances, so engines are tighter. They don't have as much blow-by. Uh, also, too, they use a different arrangement for the uh, reburning of crankcase vapors, okay? So they have that going on. And also, too, with uh, synthetic oils. And I, I want to say better fuels, but I'm just, not a, I'm just not sure I can sit here and say that without uh, cringing. I don't know if the fuel is better, but I know that the oil is definitely better. It's synthetic. It actually is always going to be engine oil. It is never going to break down into whatever base component it was made out of. Um, so you can go a little longer. Now, they have on here that you can go 7,500 miles, okay? I think that's stretching it a little bit. Some manufacturers say they recommend every 10,000 miles. I definitely do not recommend 10,000 miles. And it also says here, as if this doesn't exist anymore, if your car is running on synthetic oil, now nobody's really using conventional motor oil anymore at all, except in older, older, older vehicles, really. Um, everything pretty much within the last 25 years has been designed to run on synthetic oil, okay? It says here, if you're running on synthetic oil, you can even drive up to 15,000 miles without an oil change. I don't recommend that at all. And uh, there's a two-letter word that has changed everything as far as oil changes go, and that two-letter word is turbocharging. When you turbocharge your engine, you are increasing the cylinder pressure. That's why it works so fucking well. 
you increase the cylinder pressure, you increase the power that your engine makes, you increase the force unto which your pistons go down and turn the crank, and yes, you get more power. And it seems like it's free because its exhaust gas is expanding in a turbo turbine, and that's hence the name turbo, in a turbine, and that turbine is blowing uh, air, and typically on the newer models, it is blowing it through an intercooler to bring the temperature of that air down because anytime you pressurize air, it heats up. So they cool it down. Then they shove it through the intake manifold somehow, either through the carburetor, the throttle body, carburetor. Just got done ruining that one, right? Some, <laughs> so it runs through the intercooler, cools it down, runs it through the throttle body into the intake manifold, past the intake valve into your engine. And it's really, really super super pressurized already you add some fuel to it it becomes a nice uh, dense mix it fires up boom you've got all kinds of extra power but one of the drawbacks is it's only one and it's slight it's small it's not that big a deal one of the drawbacks is is you're going to get a lot of blow by because you're really over pressurizing and i want to say over pressurizing but you're pressurizing the uh cylinder the combustion chamber much more than you would have in the past with just a regular carburetor or with just regular fuel injection. Now you're increasing the pressure and you're forcing some of that byproduct of combustion, read i.e. carbon and other stuff you don't really want in your engine oil. You're forcing all that stuff past the piston rings and into your oil. Now, I've changed oil in cars with turbochargers probably now for the last eh, 15 or fifteen or so years. And that stuff comes out and it's dirty as shit, man. That stuff is black. It's no good, okay? It may still be engine oil, but it is loaded up and full of dirt, carbon, and whatever the fuck else is in there. So you want to get that shit out of there. So for me personally, and you can disagree with me if you want. I, I mean, I understand other people have different opinions about these things. It's fine. But I recommend oil changes every 5,000 miles. And it's not because even with synthetic oil, it's not because it doesn't become, it becomes something else. Synthetic oil does not break down one nice thing about it, but it does get dirty as a molder, folker. It gets really dirty. So get that shit out of there and change the filter too. And and here's just a little uh, added tidbit, okay? I've been We've been struggling lately, uh, and, and it, it seems like the struggle is never ending, actually, to be quite honest with you. But the struggle that we have lately is that other people, other shops are changing the oil in the cars that I typically work on, and they're doing it all fucking wrong. They're doing it all wrong. If you are a lube tech somewhere, do me a favor and learn how to do that job correctly, okay? It's not that hard. Okay, I do it correctly all the time. So obviously it's not too hard to learn how to do it right. If you don't know how tight to make a drain plug, find a manual where it tells you what the torque should be on the specific threads that go on a uh, oil drain plug and torque it with a torque wrench until you can get a good feel for how tight it needs to be. I have taken so many out over the last, and, and my colleagues as well, have taken uh, quite a few of them out over the course of the last couple, two, three months, and they have been tight as fuck. Just fucking, it's like they're tightening the three ugga duggas. It's like, what the fuck? They don't need to be that fucking tight. Now make sure you have a good oil drain plug gasket, whatever it uses for a gasket, and just tighten that son of a bitch up to the factory recommended torque and leave it the fuck alone. Don't get your three foot fucking breaker bar out and fucking bang them things in as tight as you can. Don't do it because you ruin it for the next person. You stretch the threads out. If the pan's aluminum, sometimes the pan has to be fucking replaced. Stop fucking up people's cars. All they want is a simple oil change, and you're going to make them have to replace half their fucking engine now. The other thing, too, is that uh, I know that because of the uh, 
Moss Magnuson Act, the manufacturer can't state that they want you to use specific oil filters because then they would have to provide them, okay? However, I'm here to tell you that certain cars don't like certain kinds of oil filters. They don't. You all know that. You all have your favorite brand that you use on your favorite car. And I'm the same way. The vehicles I work on, uh, sometimes they have filters manufactured by who even knows. It's like they're manufactured by Mattel or, or, or some other fucking company that makes toys or some other shit besides oil filters because they're just not doing it right. The O-rings are wrong and the filters break down and they're terrible and, and they're made in countries like Poland and China and you just stop using that shit. Figure out what's supposed to be in your vehicle. If you can buy it from the dealer, it's going to definitely be the right one. If you can find out who makes it and buy it right from them directly, you can probably find it very cheap on the internet. Get a couple, two, three, and use them when you change your oil. It makes a big fucking difference. And I'll tell you, I've seen so many filters that have just absolutely disintegrated right in my hands because they were cheap and terrible alternatives to what we sell at the dealer. That's enough about oil changes. I don't think you really need to hear that shit, do you now? Uh, Here's the next myth that is just bullshit total. Performance chips increase power. Well, yes, performance chips can increase power. It's not really a myth, uh, but it's a very old myth because uh, engines, I would say, since they've had computers since 1980, have used some sort of a, a, a chip to carry with it the uh, algorithms and the maps for the fuel and the injection and the timing in your vehicle and possible uh Uh, diagnostics that your computer would provide for you as a technician early on it was obd1 nowadays it's obd2 and they run they have all of the information that they need to use to run your vehicle stored on wait for it chips chips which we all know a little bit more about now because we can't get our fucking hands on them because they're made somewhere where they said yeah pandemic fuck it we're not making chips suck dick plug and play chips used to be the big thing no, I'm not kidding you. It was the uh, it was it provided all the random access uh, information that the engine computer needed to do what it does, and you could you could get performance chips and put them in. But that shit's really pretty much gone away. Now the uh, the memory capacity of engine computers is greatly increased, and you can just go ahead and and download into your engine computer a new set of uh, algorithms and maps for your injection your timing maybe your turbo boost i know that's a real popular one to raise the turbo boost that's always good uh i've had to replace a few engines for that one but uh you know and if you take it easy you could certainly download one of them and enjoy a, a swift kick in the ass of performance yes if you're judicious about it most of us are not however we just want to keep going faster and faster and faster all the fucking time that's what we want to do that's all we want to do we just want to go fast and when we go faster we want to go faster than that next time and so you get people who reprogram their engine computers to give them the maximum amount of power all the time and a lot of times it's it ends up destroying your engine quite frankly because a lot of times when manufacturers design an engine and then they go ahead and design the uh the software or rather the firmware to run that particular uh engine they're going to run it at a pretty not not close to not real close to but they're going to run it up to within the limit okay if you have mechanical components on your engine that cause it that can cause it to have more power they're typically going to limit how much power you can get out of it at a certain point you are going to push that point farther than they did you're going to enjoy more power you may also enjoy damage that you <laughs> that you've done to your engine you made you may damage your engine i've seen that m- 
many fucking times. And uh, it's simply because they'll engineer a component to last just as long as it has to. In some cases, they'll engineer a component to be inexpensive first and then tough enough to handle a power increase second. And sometimes that second order business is not fulfilled very well. And so they make something inexpensive that'll handle the power as they built it and not handle the power as you want it to be. And when you try to make that upgrade, you end up destroying specific components on your car read i.e pistons connecting rods crankshafts turbos whatever else there is in that fucking engine it can happen um but in the old days yes chips used to be the way we did that now you just simply plug in a either a piggyback which is basically a chip that gets plugged in and uh you can go in and you can rewrite the parameters uh for timing and ignition is kind of fun but it does get out of hand real quick doesn't it, boys? Yes, it does. How about this next one? It says here, premium fuel will clean your engine. Well, no, not really. Premium fuel is just fuel. It goes through your engine. It doesn't really stick around to mop up after anything. It doesn't sandblast your intake manifold or your intake valves. It doesn't clean your combustion chamber. Typically, typically. Now, some people that refine gasoline will put additives in them. Uh, typically, their uh, reason for putting additives into fuel is to make it possibly more stable possibly make it burn better and also to uh there there is some there is some additives that will help you run a little cleaner but you know if your engine's not running right it's probably not going to help you very much i have found uh recently within the last couple of years that the best fuel that i can buy for my car is ethanol free now here's a here's a, a really good example of people who manufacture or refine uh, crude oil into fuel, taking it and really literally turning it into shit by adding stuff to it. Ethanol, my car hates that shit. When I put non-ethanol gas into it, I can almost hear it say, thank you. And because it's a German car, it says, don't shame. And I mean, that thing runs so sweet with ethanol-free fuel in it that I will pay whatever it costs because it's just... I mean, you can't even hear it run. You can't even hear it. It just purrs when I put in non-ethanol fuel. And I have to get it in a specific place. It's not available everywhere. And when I put in the regular shit that's, you know, 10 or 5 or whatever the fucking percentage is of ethanol in it, it just seems like it runs like shit. Now, honestly, too, when you're talking about premium fuel, we're talking about fuel that has a higher octane. There can be all kinds of additives in it that do all kinds of different things and all kinds of different refineries do different things to fuel. Uh, in the north, one of the things that they do is they oxygenate the fuel in the winter so that it doesn't freeze. And then they put ethanol in it. And, and so the whole frozen fuel line thing really pretty much is a thing of the past up there. I don't I don't think anybody up north has experienced that in a while. <laughs> of course, they're buying the ethanol-free stuff, and maybe they're still having frozen gas lines then. Um, used to be a very big problem. We used to have massive, in, in, the, in the parts stores I used to work in, we used to have these massive displays up front starting right around Halloween for dry gas. You would put dry gas in your fuel tank, and it would keep the gasoline from freezing. And that was something that you put in the car. The manufacturer didn't feel like it was necessary for him to refine the fuel with that shit in it. No, why would he do that when it's pretty well? And all it was was isopropyl alcohol. And apparently it made the fuel not fucking freeze. Okay. So we were really, ha we were really happy about that when that all went away. And, and I don't, I will bet you a lot. I bet you money that some of you have no idea what that even looks like, but I can still remember putting 
I mean, literally, I would put 20 to 30 cases of this dry gas in a display right up front by the cash register back in the day before we had the ethanol fuel. And people will buy that shit. They buy five or six at a time. And that display of 30 cases, if I put it up at nine o'clock in the morning, by nine o'clock at night, it was almost gone. It was a big fucking problem. Okay. That shit's almost completely gone now. It's one of the things that doesn't happen anymore. It's a baby boomer thing, I guess you could say. Hey, we don't have to do that anymore. Fucking great. But fuel, as far as premium gas goes, it just has a higher octane. Whatever additives are in it, whether you put them in there or not, that's that's up to the uh, up up to the uh, refiners. And some car, some some gasoline makers, you know, Mobile, Exxon, Shell, these sorts of things, these sorts of companies, they all make gas just a little bit different uh, as far as gasoline goes. I try to stick to Shell as much as I possibly can. I have found that that's been the best gasoline for all the vehicles I have. In a lot of the vehicles, you can run the cheapest level of premium, which is like an 87 octane. Most of them run just fine on that. Okay, You don't need to run a high octane. But I will tell you about an incident from my past. I had purchased a it brand new in 1995, an S10 pickup truck. It was OBD1, which means that it did not have a knock sensor. It was not an OBD2 vehicle, it was OBD1. It was one of the very last ones, I'm told. I don't know how true that is. Anyway, that thing did not like fucking regular or even the second level of gas, which would have been, I don't know, premium, I guess you would call it. It it had a st- it required, and I'm telling you the God's honest truth, and it sounds wrong, but it was just a real, a regular 2.2 liter, five-speed S10 pickup truck, and it ran like dog shit unless I put the super unleaded fuel in there, which was like 91, 92 octane. It just didn't like that other shit because it didn't really have any way to adjust the timing because it was knocking with all that other fuel in it. It would knock. You could hear it. You could feel it. It had no power. It was a dog. And as soon as you put the good fuel in it, it ran a lot better. So people used to get on my shit. Well, why are you putting good fuel in there? I said, I'd like for the fucking thing to keep running. That's what I would say. It had also too a, an extraordinary amount of piston slap in it, which was accelerated greatly or i should even say what the the sound of it was accelerated the sound of it was a lot louder if i used a cheap fuel one last thing about gasoline and i'll stop talking about it this article here says that the uh no it doesn't say anything about it but uh the government has a lot to say about the fuel it has a lot to say about the additives it has a lot to say about what what it should be like but those rules don't exist on Indian reservations. Did you know that? Yeah, because Indian reservations are considered sovereign countries all to themselves. So they don't have to follow any of the laws that the United States federal government or the local government or the state government has laid out. They have their own laws, which is to say they have none, and they can do whatever they can want. And they also don't have the taxes that they have in the rest of the country, which can be a good thing or a bad thing. Now, one of the things that happens at the Indian reservations is that they get gasoline station. They build gasoline stations and they get gasoline in that doesn't have all these additives in it. doesn't have all this stuff in it. The refiner knows that if they send gas there, they don't give a shit if it's any good at all. They don't care. What the fuck do they care? People are coming in and buying it by the bucketfuls simply because by the tankfuls is what I should say. Uh, they're coming in and buying it because it's good 25 to 30, maybe even 50 cents cheaper because it doesn't have the federal, state, and local taxes on it. Never mind that that stuff is fucking piss. It's dog piss. And a lot of times, 
And believe me, I got friends who told me this. A lot of times people go to get that gas, they get down the road, their car quits running because it's barely gas at all. And their car barely runs, or maybe it doesn't even run at all. That's how bad it was. So next time you go tank up and you see the stickers on the pump that say, hey, this pump's been certified, this fuel's been certified, this is the octanes they are, you have to understand it, that that's your tax dollars at work, and they're making sure that the fuel is going to work at least in the minimum requirements that they have set forth for it, okay? And if you buy gas at Indian Reservation, your car runs like shit, you can look straight into a fucking mirror and see the fucking reason why your car runs like shit. It's because you, the reflection in the mirror, is a cheap piece of shit. You should stop buying gas there, really. But hey, who am I to tell people what to do, right? Here's another one that's wrong. Another myth that is completely fucking wrong, ladies and gentlemen. Manual cars are more fuel efficient than automatics. Well, they certainly can be more fuel efficient than automatic. Automatic transmission technology, which started somewhere around the 1930s, has come a long fucking way in almost 100 years. Yeah, because we're staring down the barrel of the 30s in a few years. The 2030s, that is. Automatic transmissions are great, I and I, I don't have anything against them at all. Let me just put it that way, okay? And they have morphed into these these devices that transmit the power from the engine to the powertrain the the axles and whatever else is out there uh driving the cars whether it's a half shaft or a drive shaft or both uh they do they do an extraordinary job of it okay they do an extraordinary job of it they have lots of different algorithms and maps in the uh transmission computer if it has a separate one uh some vehicles have that computer that runs the transmission and how it shifts right in the engine computer those are called pcm powertrain modules um they have it figured out and uh, and automatic transmissions are great but you really can't tell me that when you don't have a direct drive between the transmission and the engine and you have hydraulics in there and that's what a transmission is it's a torque converter is just a hydraulic coupler okay there's no manual connection in there and sometimes they have lock up i get that i know that and then that has been an advancement in transmissions that has made them a lot better but there's still a lot of fluid to it it's still kind of a slush box somewhat never gonna never gonna be 100 percent efficient as far as transferring power it's never gonna be never really can be okay now a manual transmission should be it should be because it's just a shaft with gears on it and you take the power that comes in and all you do is you divide it up amongst the gears that you have and you get to select the gears that you have and you have a clutch there and a clutch can slip but typically typically in most cases they don't at least not on purpose they don't uh but eventually they will wear out and slip uh and you may slip the transmission you may slip the clutch with your foot well one of the problems with a manual transmission is that so many people have no fucking idea how to drive them and even a lot of the people who think they do know how to drive them don't drive them correctly. You're in charge of the power band and how it's used in a vehicle with a manual transmission. You are in charge of it. Now, if you are one of these people who likes to calculate things, you look at the tachometer and you push the clutch in and move the gear shift lever very efficiently without losing really any kind of forward motion. And you can maybe even shift without the clutch pedal. There's there's a lot more things that can go wrong when you put the human being in charge. Let's put it that way. There's a lot more things that can go wrong. But if you shift them correctly, they should be as efficient and possibly could be even more efficient than an automatic transmission. They can be, but in most cases, because a lot of us 
for whatever reason, don't shift them in the most efficient manner possible. Maybe some of us are just out there doing, uh, drifting around corners with them, or, or maybe we're just, you know, trying to beat the guy in the next lane and we're running it up to about 10 grand in third gear and, you know, whatever. There's a lot of reasons why a human being won't either, either won't or can't shift an, a manual transmission car correctly or massively efficiently, okay? So when you have an automatic transmission, you are basically taking the human element out of it and it gets as efficient as they can possibly make it. It's still not 100% efficient. Don't ever let them tell you that, okay? Now they have, uh, a lot of cars have eight-speed transmissions now and it just boggles my mind that they have eight speeds and you can't even feel them shift and you don't know what gear they're in. And quite frankly, why would you even give a fuck? I mean, if you have an automatic transmission in your car, you just put the fucking thing in drive and you just go wherever you got to go and you don't worry about the transmission because number one they're very very precision now whereas they used to be kind of sloppy believe me i know i've rebuilt newer transmissions and i've rebuilt older transmissions and the older transmissions they just kind of slap together they just slap together man there's not a whole lot of fucking fight in them Uh, the new ones are real tight real tight and they do what they do very efficiently okay so is a manual car manual transmission car more fuel efficient than an automatic uh it's not it could be but it's never going to be because there's a human being in charge and that's basically it the next one is uh the next one is just basically a fucking dumb one now as i said earlier fires can start anywhere at any time for any reason it, it can happen and hopefully it doesn't happen to you but uh, i mean literally a fire could start in your kitchen with nobody around your toaster suddenly shorts out the microwave uh the power cord going to the microwave gets gets crushed somehow or another and and some water gets spilled or maybe you're you know i mean literally you you're making stew in a, in a crock pot and, and and some of the stew comes out gets on the cable that's all chafed going to the microwave and it's plugged in and so next thing you know you have a short the kitchen's on fire the house burns down you don't know why until the uh, arson people come around six months later and go yeah it was a bad cable to your fucking microwave in the kitchen by the way what were you cooking in there because whatever it was it got burned this next one is and, and this is just an explanation to you before i get started with this one shit can burn shit will catch fire using your phone while pumping gas can lead to an explosion i'm sorry i mean if you could make an explosion at a gas pump with a cell phone i want to see it i will i will stand nearby and pull you to safety if you can pull this off. A cell phone, yes, can make a spark. Yes, absolutely. A cell phone can make a spark if you, uh, let's say, ran it over, hit it with a ball peen hammer, stuck it into a a, a grinder. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's a million things you could do to a phone and possibly, possibly, possibly make a spark. Also, too, if you're at a gas station and there's gas all over the place, maybe the guy before you drove off and the hose was on and it spilled gas all over and the weather conditions were exactly right and you dropped your cell phone and it broke in half and there was a spark, you could have that gas ignite. Would it explode? Probably not. It would probably just burn. Now, once gas starts burning at a gas pump, they have safety cutoff valves. They're very heat sensitive. They get much over 100 and 130, 140 degrees, 150 degrees. They they shut off the fuel from underneath. So to make an explosion, a lot of a lot a lot a lot of things would have to line up perfectly. Not likely to happen. Uh, what did they go to say? Do you remember the days of mobile? Early days of mobile phones. Yeah. Well, you want to know something? What they're talking about here is a mobile phone making a spark. It could happen. Could it ignite gasoline? 
It could happen. Is it going to? I don't think so. I mean, how many times do you get out of your fucking car and then you go to touch something and you get a static electricity charge? That's a spark too. Holy shit. You could start a fire with that. That's just you. That's not even a cell phone. Your cell phone could be lost, stolen, in the car, in the house. It might even just be in your pocket. doesn't matter. Cell phone. You don't need a cell phone to create the spark to make an explosion. But that's the thing with gasoline. Uh, we know that gasoline as a liquid is flammable. Gasoline as a vapor, when you squeeze it and make it into a vapor, that's when it becomes explosive. That shit's not happening at a gas station. It's only going to happen inside your engine. Uh, it's, it goes on to pretty much say that. It's really highly unlikely. And for them to even bring it up, really, what's the fucking point? Here's another one. Driving with your tailgate down for fuel efficiency. See, these things are all over the place. Okay, well, they went, to say, they went on to say that driving with the tailgate down does not really increase fuel efficiency. And it was proven, uh, wait a minute, does it say it here? It doesn't say it here. Uh, a lot of these things they say were proven by Mythbusters, which is great. Except here's something that goes on with, with the tailgate. Air hits the tailgate, it's going to slow you down. It's like putting an engine on a brick wall and sending it down the road. Air is going to hit the brick wall and cause resistance to that brick wall moving fucking forward. Well, your tailgate's a lot like a brick wall, folks. You move forward and the air's got to bounce off of it, okay? You put it down, the air doesn't have to bounce off of it, does it? No. It gets to go right past it and say, hey, man, where'd you go? I thought there was a tailgate back here, man. It says the result of driving with a tailgate down or removed is actually the opposite. No, I'm sorry. That's really not true. It says the tailgate, when closed, creates a vortex around the truck bed, which improves the airflow. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't create a vortex. No fucking manufacturer in the world ever designed a tailgate to create a vortex or a truck box. They designed a truck box to hold shit, you know? I mean, and some people take that to heart and throw shit in the back of their truck and leave it there for a long time. No, the best thing to have happen would be to have a gate or a net that let air pass through it. It will reduce the drag, okay? There's no question that it won't. The tailgate down, there's less drag. It does not create more drag, like it says here. That's wrong. How can it create less drag? Putting it down. It doesn't It doesn't work that way. Put it down if you want. Put it up if you want. You are not going to notice the fucking difference. Do whatever you want to do. As far as a myth and telling me that it doesn't do anything is bullshit, but it doesn't do very much. The difference is so inconsequential and so insignificant that you'll never fucking notice and quite frankly if you put your tailgate down you got shit in your bed you take off real quick you shit in your bed is going to be shit on the fucking ground now okay so probably ought to just leave it up unless of course you have nothing in your tailgate like i do and i leave it up because i don't give a shit i'm not going to notice i mean if i went through and i calculated my route every day and i drove it every day and had the same kind of gas every time i get gas and the weather was the same all day every day and then i calculated it out i would notice a difference it would be probably 0.00002 miles per gallon more with the tailgate down it's just so inconsequential it's just kind of fucking stupid to even bring it up okay so we're going to keep moving turning on the engine uses more fuel than letting it idle well Okay, what kind of cars are we talking about here? Because fuel-injected engines do not really use more fuel when they start than when they're at idle. What they're going on to say here is that if you have to sit somewhere with your engine running for 30 seconds, you should shut it off. Uh, okay, whatever. Uh, we all know that cars nowadays have uh, uh, devices in them that when you're at a stop sign or you're stopped for whatever reason, your engine shuts off. 
It just does it automatically. They've got that shit all figured out. They're going to try to save fuel that way. It makes the cars more efficient. It makes them make less emissions. It's great. That's exactly what we want. Yeah, obviously, if the manufacturer went with it, shutting the fucking thing off is going to be more efficient than letting it idle. I mean, you could conceivably fill up your gas tank, start the car up and leave it idle for a week and a half. And yeah, it's going to use more fuel than if you turn it off. Duh. But as far as shutting the shutting the engine off uh, for 30 seconds, if you're stopped, if your car, if you have to do it personally, if you have to do it manually, I would not. The way cars are made, uh, the ones that shut themselves off and then turn themselves back on are way more efficient at doing that whole thing than you ever could be because systems shut off when you shut the car off. But in a car that shuts itself off, cars that have auto start, uh, they are more efficient also too because they'll leave certain accessories on for you uh, to provide comfort to the driver and the passengers. Uh, when you shut the car off, those fucking things shut off. And when they have to restart, sometimes that is less efficient too, just typically considering like the air conditioning for that. Now, obviously, if your engine shuts off, your AC compressor is going to shut off unless you have a hybrid with an electric compressor because there's always some exception to the rule. And that's the thing with a lot of these particular myths is that it's just they're too general of a statement to be true in all cases. And a lot of these myths are true in some cases and some of them are not true. Now we're talking about cars with fuel injection, but we were talking about cars that have carburetors. Yeah, turning the engine off, it uses, turning the engine on uses more fuel than letting it idle. Well, yeah, probably will. Because at idle, a carburetor is just going to barely let you let fuel siphon itself into the uh, into the engine, and that's way more efficient than having to pump the fucking thing to get it to restart. But that technology is long gone, and probably a lot of you out there can't even spell carburetor. So <laughs> don't worry about it; it's not worth it. Don't just don't try it. Okay. Here's another one: AC and. St- AC, instead of opening the windows, increases fuel economy. Uh, I, you know, I got to say, uh, myself personally, I I would prefer to drive with the windows open, but it feels to me like it's more efficient to have the AC on. And one of the reasons is because I don't really turn it up full blast. I got it on a little bit. It's nice and cool. I close the windows. Everybody seems like they're happy. And my hair doesn't make me look like the Grinch who stole Christmas or any of that shit. And, and, and I can hear the radio better. But sometimes I just like to drop all the fucking ports and haul ass down the highway. And I know the air is going into the car and it's swirling around and it, it can't get out the back window because the back window is fixed. So it has to go out the other windows. So we got air coming in and going out and that can't be efficient. It can't, you know, and then you get a zone and they sit and there's buffeting and there's all the kinds of fucking problems with driving with the windows open. Shit inside your car blows around, you know, you get all kinds of fumes and shit in your car and smells from all around, whatever. But when you have the AC on, typically your air that goes into your air conditioning is being recycled from inside the cabin. And unless you're in a unless you're in a flatulent mood, the air is usually not going to be too bad, too offensive. Um, and so you're better off that way. Here again, driving with the windows open or driving with the AC on, either way, I think the differences are so really honest to God microscopic that you're not going to notice the difference. So you do whatever you do. And you don't worry about what the Mythbusters say or what this particular website says, this this app. It seems like they are bringing in somebody who doesn't really know a hell of a lot about cars and trying to make himself sound smart. And he failed miserably. Uh, here's another one. Bigger engine means more power. Well, yes. Yes, bigger engines do mean more power. It's an old adage. You've all heard it before. 
Uh, there's no substitute for cubic inches. Uh, here's one of the things that they're talking about. When you talk about power, there's two ways to really honest to God measure it, okay? There's two ways. There's torque and there's horsepower. Now, horsepower sells the cars, but it's torque that gets the fucking job done. We all know that, right? You have a great big fucking engine with like six inch connecting rods and great big fat, big as your head fucking pistons. This thing is gonna make mountains of torque. And torque is what gets the fucking job done. You want to pull a stump out of the ground? Sure, go ahead and back up your Toyota 4Runner to it and hook to it. Your Toyota 4Runner has probably 200 horsepower and probably 150 foot-pounds of torque. Or actually, I think, believe that it is technically said correctly, pound-feet. Uh, I don't think it really matters. We know what we're talking about. Uh, we can say it however we want. So he has 150 pound feet of torque and he's trying to pull out a stump. It's not going to do it. Then I pull up with my fucking 76 Chevy K20 and I've got a 454 in there. And maybe I only have 200 horsepower, but I have 350 fucking pound feet of torque with that fucking thing. And I also got four low. I hook that thing to that. I'm not, I'm not only going to be able to pull out a tree. If I happen to catch a root from another tree, I'm going to pull that fucker out too. Torque is what gets shit done, baby. Torque's what runs the races. We know that. So saying a big engine doesn't have power anymore, doesn't mean more power. It certainly fucking does when we're talking about torque. Now, here's why diesels have such huge torque is because they squeeze the piss out of everything to the tune of, you know, 20, 18, 19, 20, 22 to 1 compression ratio. So when the, the levers that are the uh, connecting rods suddenly decide they're going to go the other way, they have a lot of fucking push back against them. The combustion is way more efficient and the power it creates creates way more torque. And that's why diesel engines are the choice of people who like power all over the fucking world. And the bigger ones make make more torque. There's no question about it, okay? So smaller engines, yes, they have become incredibly powerful. But we're talking about, when you talk about smaller engines making a lot of power, we're talking about a, like a four-cylinder Ecotec motor with a turbo on it. Yes, it makes more power than a non-turboed four-cylinder but uh, I'll take the 396 Chevelle over that shit every time. I'm an old guy, you know. <laughs> Korean cars are bad. That's the next statement here. Well, I don't, I don't want to sit here and tell you that Korean cars are bad because I don't have any experience with Korean cars other than the fact that my nephew bought one and I attempted to fix it and it didn't go real well. Even though I did everything the way I was supposed to do, could not make the check engine light go out. Something went awry. I did the best I could. He fucking ended up shipping that car on its way. The one thing I don't like about cars made in Korea or cars that come from Korea or even cars built here where the money goes to Korea is that all of these companies overseas are taking the money out of our economy. You get cars from Germany, you get cars from Japan, you get cars from Korea. It doesn't matter where they come from. When they bring them here, they empty the boats and what they take back on those boats are the payment checks that you send them for those vehicles. The money is going overseas. That's the only, that's that's really my top complaint with foreign manufacturers. We need to buy domestic more often. And I have made that, I mean, I drive German cars, but they were used. So the money, not my money's going overseas. My money went to Joe Blow on 2nd Street who bought that car new. So my money stayed in the United States, okay? Now you say, now, I know a lot of you have very definite opinions on this and it's fine. And a lot of these manufacturers make cars here in the United States. These are the same kinds of people who told us years ago that Americans can't build cars. 
So by all means, bring your shit over here and have us build them for you so you don't have to transport them. And oh, by the way, don't get murdered with tariffs and taxes. So basically what you were telling us in the 80s that we couldn't build cars was bullshit. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is bullshit because I drive American cars and they're just as good as any car that comes from any other country in the world. So let's shake that notion out of our head, people. I don't really like cars that come from Korea just because I don't like for our money to go overseas and, and extend the negative trade deficit that we have with all of these countries. It's not that I have anything against Korea or Japan or Germany or anywhere else where they build cars. I just need, we need as Americans to keep some of that money here in our own economy. When you buy a Chevrolet at the Chevrolet dealer down the street, that money stays in your community. That money stays in the United States typically. Sometimes they build those things in Mexico or Canada, but there's not much we can really do about that. And that is at least North America. So let's keep the money here in the house. Stop sending it across the oceans. A lot of money has gone across the ocean. You drive down the road nowadays, you could conceivably be in a, a line of traffic that is a mile long, and there'll only be probably about 30 cars that are built in the U.S., and the rest of them will all be built overseas. And that's part of the problem with our economy here, okay? Uh, do they build bad cars? No, they did used to, I believe. I believe that some of the cars they used to build were absolute great big huge piles of dog shit. And I don't mean to use the word dog in that sentence on purpose, but uh, that's another thing is that the culture is very different as far as dogs go. And that's all I want to say about that. I don't want to start a war or anything like that, okay? But I don't, but lately they have brought up their standards, their quality control, and their cars seem like they're better than they used to be. And really, how's that not possible? Because I think that they were horrendous piles of shit early on but they've straightened a lot of that shit out. So our Korean car is bad. Got to be honest with you. Don't know. Don't want to find out. I'm not going to find out. You'll have to make that choice. You'll have to demystify that one yourself. Okay, I'm going to leave it to you. Here's another one that's just ridiculous. Dirty cars use less fuel. I'm not sure how the fuck you, anybody came up with that. Now, here's the thing. This is wrong too. Okay, I'm going to tell you why. I think a lot of us know that, especially if we were hot rodders or still are hot rodders or whatever, a lot of us know that when you want to make a car go faster, you can do two things to it. You can raise the horsepower or you can make it way less. They're exactly the same, exactly the same. Raising the horsepower is exactly the same as lowering the weight of the vehicle. This is why you'll see kids strip the interiors out of their cars, have one seat, they'll throw away the radio, they'll take the dash out, uh, they'll, they'll strip the trunk, because making it lighter makes it faster. Now, when you add dirt to your car, I don't care if it's on the body or in the undercarriage or in the wheels. I don't even care if you put 200 pounds of fucking dirt in a trunk. I don't give a shit. You're making it heavier. Thus, you're making it slower. Thus, you're making it less fuel efficient because a lighter car is going to be obviously much easier to roll down the road than something that weighs more than it. So you're going to use less fuel if your car is lighter. And if your car is clean and you get all the fucking dirt out of it, yeah, it's going to be lighter. And it's going to be more fuel efficient. So dirty cars using less fuel. Yeah, that's a myth. That's not true. That's crap. Warm up your engine before driving. Warm it up. Yeah. No, really the best situation to warm up your engine is to just drive it. Just drive it. It doesn't help it at all to sit there and warm up. Now, I know a lot of you may disagree with that. And that's fine. Um, warming your car up is certainly good for you as a human being. I mean, suppose you hit the remote start, you're in the bathroom, taking a shower, you hit the remote start, that thing's been running for half an hour, you got the heat on full blast in there, you get out there, boom, that thing is warm 
and toasty and now you're ready to go to work without freezing your ass off and maybe the windows are all defogged and all the snow that was on it melted off this of course is a, something that happens more often in the north of course uh in the south we don't typically have snowstorms although according to the climate change people we're going to have them way more often now which is fine with me i i i know how to deal with it it's just everybody else where i am at doesn't know how to deal with it at all uh letting your car engine idle is not really a very good idea uh, just because that's you're using fuel, but you're using fuel just to create heat. It's going to do that anyway. Um, if the car's not moving, then it's 100% inefficient, 100%. Whereas if you drive the car while it warms up, you at least enjoy some efficiency for the fuel used via motion, via going somewhere. Okay, so that's that myth is debunked that way. Red cars are more expensive to insure. Well, Red cars sure do grab your attention. And if you're a police officer and you, you see cars going down the road and they look like they're going a little fast and all of a sudden a red one comes along, you might pick that one out and say, I'm going to pull that motherfucker over. So yeah, a red car could conceivably be more expensive to insure if you drive like an asshole. But if you just drive normal, uh, it says here the insurance companies don't give a fuck what color your car is. Um, believe me, if they did a study and said that red cars cost more to insure because the people who own them are either assholes or drive like assholes or both, then they would charge you more, but apparently they don't. So uh, do red cars cost more to insure? It says here that they don't. I'll have to take their word for it. All mine are black. You can wash your car with dishwashing soap. I don't understand why that's a myth. You can wash your car with whatever the fuck you want. You can go down to the zoo and get a great big bunk of monkey shit and fucking wash your car with it if you want. It's your fucking car. And if you want to do something totally outrageous, there you go. Wash it with monkey shit. Not going to get too fucking clean. And you may have to clean it again with something later if you don't like the results. Fine. Okay. What they're talking about here is damaging the paint. Okay. That's cool. And they're talking about using dishwashing soap or some other chemical not meant for cleaning a car, which will take off the wax. Okay, well, lots of lots of chemicals will take wax off of stuff. Okay, uh, do, do car soaps take wax off? I think sometimes they do. Uh, eventually, wax just comes off all by itself anyway, just from stuff, you know, moving across the, the surface of the sheet metal of your car as you go down the road. So really, if you believe that you're going to strip off the wax, you should just wax your car more often and, and, and keep it cleaner. Okay. Now, this is one of the things that they said in this article, and I have to call total bullshit on here. And this is one of the major reasons why I know that the person who wrote this doesn't know his asshole from a hole in the ground. This is this. I'm going to just read this to you because it's so ridiculous. And you'll all just go, what? Cars with paint damage will have to be repainted. No, they won't. <laughs> a single coat Low quality paint job will cost at least $500. What? <laughs> Listen to me. Earl Scheib's been dead a long fucking time and you can't get a car painted for $500 fucking dollars. Unless, of course, you write something weird on it and you park it in a neighborhood where they're going to tag it with graffiti. <laughs> and even then, they still might charge you more than 500 bucks. At least they should. It goes on to say higher quality paint jobs will likely set you back more than $1,000. Well, yes, they're going to set you back by more than $1,000. They're going to set you back by a way fucking lot more than $1,000. That's ridiculous. Have you asked somebody to paint a car for you lately? Have you gone to a collision shop and say, how much to repaint this car? Dude, they're going to want 10 fucking grand. There's so much work involved. Getting the body prepped for paint and getting it clean and then getting it into the booth and then the materials, the fucking materials. You can't paint a car for 500 bucks when the paint costs two fucking thousand dollars. <laughs> it's not going to happen, okay? 
I don't know where this guy got these figures from. He obviously has not had a car repainted ever. Even doing it yourself, it probably costs a good two grand just for the materials and the time you might waste and all the beer you have to drink and all the sandpaper and all the other shit. Uh, believe me, if you're painting a car, there will be beer, okay? It's, it's just completely necessary. Uh, it says here, it is best to invest a bit more money into proper car care. No shit, really? They are having the car repainted. Well, look where I'm living right now. The sun is going to bake the paint off your car. I don't give a fuck what you do to it. It is just sunny here, 320 days out of the year. It is brilliantly hot sometimes and the sun is just relentless just relentless i mean fuck sometimes when i go out i can feel the paint peeling off of me so i don't care what you do to your car the paint is going to come off of it it is after all and i've said it a million times it's a consumer product paint's going to fade paint's going to peel and bubble and boil it's just going to happen <laughs> doesn't matter if you wash it with dishwashing soap or if you wash it with pert or head and shoulders or monkey spunk it doesn't fucking matter the paint is going to get damaged just by being on your car and being outdoors you stored indoors in a climate controlled with a car cover on it you're probably going to have a really nice paint job all the way until you die and your kids get a hold of that car and fucking sell it to some guy who parks it outside for the rest of his life so it's just not something you should even really worry about if you're going to clean it try to clean it right but you know what? You don't have to. It's your car. Fuck it, right? Let's move on. <laughs> Sorry. You can watch. You really literally can wash your car with whatever you want. All right. Just so you know. In case, in case you were waiting for me to offer you some sort of endorsement as to what car soap you should use, you can wash your car with anything. You are more likely to get pulled over in a red car. Well, yeah. I believe that a red car definitely draws attention. This is another myth that should have been stacked on top of that other one that said that red cars cost more to insure. You drive a red car, you're drawing attention to yourself, okay? And a lot of times red cars, red cars are typically sports cars and cars that are a little faster than the ones that aren't red. Red's just not a real common color anymore. I don't know if you've, if, if any of you are familiar with that, really. Uh, working in a dealer, when I see a red car, it's just, it's kind of odd nowadays, Red is just not a color that cars get painted very often. And when they do, it does make them stand out. So if you're fucking around, maybe speeding or you're, you know, unsafe start, you're burning the tires up or you're doing some other illegal thing. Maybe you're just drinking and driving or whatever. Red car is going to have you kind of singled out just because of the color. It's just not that common anymore. And so you might be on the side of the road with somebody going, hey, man, a nice red car. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you got there? You got half a half a pound of fucking cocaine and you got an unregistered handgun. And oh, by the way, you're drunk. You're screwed. Yeah, I think you are more likely to get pulled over in a red car just because you get noticed more. Uh, I'm going to move on here because I'm going long and I hate that. I know Eric hates that. I know you guys hate that. You got things to do. Fucking hey, you got that fucking water pump job you got to do. You got a starter out back you need to put in. And Christ almighty, you got to do timing chains on a car that's been sitting there for two weeks. What the fuck? Get it together, will you? Uh, you can fill, this is a, <laughs> this isn't even the last one, but it's getting better. You can fill more gas in the morning. Uh, ah, I don't know what they're trying to, what they're trying to say here. The theory behind this myth is that gas is denser after a cold night uh, than on a hot afternoon. Well, yeah, that's true, but the gas tanks in the ground, the temperature changes in in the ground are not that great, not like they are on the surface, okay? Gas, I mean, I don't know of any gas station where the fuel is stored above ground. That sounds like to me it would be kind of fucking dangerous, especially with the way people drive these days. So they put them underground where people can't run into them, back over them, or fucking 
you know, light them on fire, you know, they're, they're a safe place. And really pretty much temperature stays eh, pretty close to being the same all the time. I mean, obviously in colder climates, yeah, it does get a little cooler. In hotter climates, it may get a little hotter, but it's probably not going to change much throughout the day. So getting more gas out of a, getting, can you fill more gas in the morning? Eh, I don't know, somewhere somebody did a paper on it somewhere. It's some chemistry PhD major at some college somewhere and said, yes, you're going to get 16 more molecules per liter and they're like yes you do get more but 16 molecules you can't even see them with your naked eyes so what fucking difference does it make here's the next one paying cash will always get you a better deal um no that's not true lots of dealerships i think you should probably all know this lots of dealerships make money selling the money you say you come in you want a loan to buy a new car they talk to you about it and they're going to sell your loan to somebody who's going to give you the money and then expect you to pay back way more money than they actually loaned you that's how it works and they make money on that there's money to be made selling money cash is king sure money talks bullshit walks all that if you're going to negotiate a price on a car and they think you're going to finance it and you don't make any kind of noise one way or the other whether you're going to finance it then at the end offer to pay it with cash they're probably just going to tell you you can't do that that changes the price okay they operate in a mode unto which they make a profit if you try to cut into that in any way shape or form they will cut you off at the knees they will chop you down they will tell you no they have to make money they're going to make money they don't dress up in those crazy ass suits and drink those 15 dollar coffees for for no reason whatsoever they're making money and they're not going to let you roll in there and make them make less money it's not going to happen okay you want to roll in and work a deal where they think you're going to finance it and you try to hit them with a pay with a check to pay for the whole thing right up front they're probably going to tell you oh nope 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 that's not a cash price at least i know that a lot of salesmen would say that right off the bat say are we talking about financing or are you going to pay cash and if you lie to them they don't like that too because you're cutting in on their fucking action okay they're the liars they don't like it when other people lie to them they don't like it even though they do it that's just the way salespeople are they want to try to overcome the objection and they'll say anything anything they'll introduce you to their fucking cousin the sasquatch who just got back from the loch ness in scotland and he's you know he had a, a nice visit with his friend the loch ness monster they're just liars on, on a scale to which you don't even know so if you try to pay cash for a car they think you're going to finance, they're just going to fucking put the kibosh on a whole fucking deal and tell you to get the fuck out, probably. Here's another one. Uh, we're getting towards the end, hopefully. Hybrids are slow. Uh, well, hybrids uh, that I'm familiar with use a transmission, an automatic transmission, that instead of having a torque converter has an e-machine, which adds power. Uh, some of these things don't have really all that much more power than a gasoline version of what they do. They just create power in a different manner. They may even be heavier. To say they're slower or faster than than what I don't know. If they're not even put, they're not even. It's just too general of a statement to be true in all cases. Again, it's not something that they can get away with saying and then proving one way or the other because there's different hybrids and there's different hybrids built for different things. And some hybrids are fast and some are slow. Some are faster than their internal combustion engine powered cousins. And some of them are slower. There's, there's no one answer to that myth. It's just not true. Here's another one. A start-stop system wastes fuel instead of saving it. No, nah, they pretty much, believe me, the car manufacturers are not going to put anything into a car that wastes fuel. They have too much trouble getting these things certified for emissions to put something in them that doesn't fucking do the job. 
They're not going to do that. They actually put these systems in there where they stop the car so that they can save the car from making emissions. So a start-stop does lower permission, lower emissions and is perfectly safe for your car battery. You don't have to uh, worry about that. It is a good thing. That's why it exists. If it wasn't a good thing, it would not exist. Here's another one. You should replace all the tires at the same time. Well... Here again, too general a statement to be true in all cases. Um, if all four tires are worn out evenly at the same time, then yeah, you should probably replace them all at the same time. If the front two are good and the back two are shit, replace just the back two. Vice versa, if the back two are good and the front two are shit, replace just the fronts. I've actually done many, many cars where I replaced just three tires. For one reason or another, one tire was still good, whether it got replaced at some other time or it had a, the, the tire that was on there previously had a nail in it or something and they got a tire maybe... 10,000 miles ago and the rest of them are all 30, 40,000 miles old. Replace three tires. doesn't really fucking matter. Uh, four-wheel drives with sensitive transfer cases may insist. They may, they, let me let me say it a different way here because they, they won't insist. Uh, they're not really going to do that. But if you have a four-wheel drive car, you should have tires that are all roughly the same diameter. If you have a couple that aren't, it can cause a little bit of stress in the four-wheel drive system. It may cause uh, a transfer case to explode. Uh, we have had some problems with that in the past. To point to tires being the different size just because one was worn and one wasn't, I really didn't do that. You know, when you get to a point where something's broken, you just want to fix it. You're not really looking for the reason why it's broken. You just want to get it fixed and get it the hell out of there. I'm not going to, we're not going to do a forensic study of a car and figure out why something broke. Nobody gives a shit. Just get it fixed and get it the fuck out the door. And if it's because the tires were smaller in diameter because one had no tread and the other one had brand new tread, what are you going to do? You still got a broken transfer case. You have figured out nothing. Figured out how to lose money is really what you've done. So, but should you change tires, all four of them at the same time? I would say yes, because all four tires will have the same quality. All four tires will have the same quality characteristics. They will have the same handling characteristics. They will all operate the same way. And you will enjoy a much better ride and a much higher quality of ride. And maybe the handling also too will be better if all four of them are the same. I think one of the squirreliest cars I ever fucking drove had four different size tires of four different kinds of manufacturers on all four corners of it. This car drove like it wanted to drive around in circles like a sit and spin. It was terrible. We recommended getting all four tires, the same exact size from the same exact brand manufacturer, and then doing an alignment and setting the tire pressures correctly so that this car could drive the way it was supposed to when it was new. And of course, this particular kind of customer was just like, nah, I don't need tires. Okay, whatever. Keep driving like an asshole. It's fine. Uh, here's another one. Low tire pressure results in a smoother ride. Uh, it's It's a little bit true. Just a little bit. Obviously, if you have a little bit lower tire pressure, you will have the ability to absorb more sort of road defects with just your tires and not your whole vehicle, your whole body, whole of your vehicle. But it's never really a good idea. You should uh, conceivably put the tire pressures at where the manufacturer recommends them because they're the ones who built it. They're the ones who have the engineering facts and figures behind what tire pressure recommendations they have made. I usually personally, when I, I'm doing uh, refilling tires, and I again, I, I re reiterate this all the time, I fill them all up because nobody out there is ever checking them. They're not. That's why the government made us put TPM sensors in all these cars, tire pressure monitors, because nobody was checking their tire pressures and they were using a shit house of fuel, driving around on cars with tires that had 10 and 12 PSI in them. And it was unacceptable. 
and nobody was going to fucking change their way. Nobody was going to change their manners. No one was going to change how they uh, looked at vehicle maintenance and, and start checking their tire pressure. Just not going to do it. So they had to put this system in there because we weren't going to do it. And uh, when they go off, it's it's always fun because the tire pressure man will go off and they'll come in screaming, oh, I got a light out of my dash. And I always say the same thing to him. It's like, well, you know, you could check your own tire pressures a little more often than never, dumbass. But you should always try to have your tire pressures at or above the tire pressure that they recommend. I always throw in an extra four pounds. And my reasoning is this, that air never leaks into a tire. And that, with that said, that's enough on that one. I get some sometimes where the tires are filled up and the tire pressure's in it, you know, in the teens, you know. They're supposed to have 40, 38, 40, 42 pounds. They have 15, 16, 17. And then I fill them up. I make them right all the way around. And if I got one that's really super low, obviously I'll check for something that's making air leak out of it. And if I don't find something and maybe all the tires are just really super low, I fill them all up. The customer's got to notice that. They have to, you know, they go out and they go over a bump and instead of hitting the rim on the bump, which could conceivably happen at that low of a tire pressure, instead of hitting the rim and having it throw a jolt of lightning through their fucking spine, they went over it and it was much softer and it was actually not much less, much more enjoyable than on a car that had no tire pressure. So uh, that's all I want to say about that. Uh, Don't lower tire pressures, just raise them up. They'll lower themselves, okay? Smaller car uses less fuel than a large one. Well, yeah, that's just basic physics. Unless, of course, you have a Buick 455 stuffed into a Chevette. Okay, there's a car that's going to use a lot of fuel and, oh, by the way, be dangerous. But it's going to be really, really fucking small. And it's going to use shit out of fuel. No, what they mean here is, or at least I'm going to, I'm going to surmise what they mean is that a, a, a larger car, a smaller car uses less fuel than a large one. It's just basic physics. A larger car, I think, I take by what they have said, a large car is like a 60s, a 50s, a 60s, 70s land yacht that's basically half an acre. I mean, it's literally six tons and it's, you know, 25 feet long and 10 feet wide and the thing is huge and it's got a 455 or a 440 or 454 in it. Yeah, there was, a, <laughs> you know, F-15 fighters only use more fuel than that and really pretty much everything else uses less. Plus two, something that big and that heavy just requires a lot of energy from your fuel to move it down the street. A small car obviously uses less because it weighs less, pretty much just modern day physics. You don't really need to go on that, go on about that too much. The next one is diesel cars can run on vegetable oil. Well, they could, but vegetable oil does not possess the proper uh, viscosity to be used as a fuel in a lot of modern diesels, okay? So if you got an old diesel tractor from just after World War II, you could probably piss in it and it would run, okay? And you could put vegetable oil in it and it will run. But if you have like a 20, a 2018, 2019 Volkswagen with a diesel engine, who knows if they even make them anymore, you're not gonna be able to put vegetable oil in there unless, of course, you want to ride on a flatbed back to the dealer and have them drain it out for you. At great cost to you. So don't do it. It doesn't work. Off-brand gas is bad for your engine? Well, yeah. Uh, we talked about that earlier. Some companies make better gas than others. I think BP and, and Shell make pretty good fuel. What's another one? They call them top-tier stations. Their fuel is better. Without mentioning the quality of anybody else's fuel, they're just, they're just better. Off-brand gas is bad for your engine? It can be. Uh, it depends on what kind of additives they had in, have in it. Um, if you're a technician like myself, you know, uh, you put fuel in your own vehicle or maybe even your customer's vehicles or you, you're familiar with what kind of fuel they use. There's some cars that run better on certain fuels. I think the ethanol count should probably be lowered and maybe eliminated more often for uh, consumption at certain gas stations because ethanol is really not fuel. I mean, yeah, it can burn. It doesn't like it. 
car engines don't like it, but it, it can burn, but it's just not, it's just not a really good additive. You know, you think, oh, we're, you know, we're stretching the fuel supply a little farther. Well, not really, because nothing I have really likes that shit at all. It's like, you know, feeding your kids McDonald's every day. Yeah, it's food. Is it good food? No, not good food every day. It's good every once in a while, you know, every once in a while you get hungry. And really, I read this somewhere. They said, hey, if you're not a kid or suffering from a hangover from a long night out, McDonald's is not for you. Don't go there. Uh, it even said here, BP and Shell. I guess I must have read that. Overdrive makes your car faster well it can it actually can it says here you can't but it can it says overdrive won't make your car faster louder or more exciting despite the cool name actually it will it will make your car faster okay and if you've ever driven a car and many of you have not ever but if you've ever driven a car from the late 60s maybe maybe even the early 70s or even from the 50s even with a power glide in it or a two-speed automatic transmission in it and then you get one that has, uh, you, maybe you take it out because, you know, some of us are pretty fucking handy. You get something. Let's just take, let's just pick something, okay? Let's say you have a 67 Chevy truck and it has a 283 and it runs mint. You got a two-speed power glide behind it. I don't think they actually built that ever. But um, so you, you go out and you get yourself a, a 700R4, which is a four-speed transmission. You got gears in the back that are really steep, like 411s, maybe 373s. And you would never able to get much more than 70 or 80 miles an hour out of that truck. Now you put a four-speed automatic transmission in there with overdrive and you have those tall gears. Now suddenly you can go probably up to 100. So are they faster? Yes, actually they are faster because you have a much broader range of gear ratios and the gear ratio in the back does not hold you back as much because now you can spin the drive shaft faster without actually making the engine work harder. How about that, huh? No, see, this guy didn't know that. He's like, oh, it doesn't make your car faster, louder, or more exciting. Actually, it can Okay, it doesn't always, but it can. Here's another one. It says aluminum is less safe than steel. Well, aluminum, in many cases, you can crumple like a piece of paper. Can you do that with sheet metal? Yeah, you really can't. I mean, you have to kind of hit it really, really hard, and then it will crumple, yes. Uh, aluminum is just different than steel. It is not a replacement for it, really. Okay, now here it says, it says, oh, that there's a difference in density between aluminum and steel. There's a little difference between density of the person who wrote it, too. If car manufacturers use the exact same amount of aluminum to replace steel, it would be less safe. Exact same amount of aluminum to replace steel. Say you had a subframe for your car. The car's a unibody car. You have a subframe up front, and it's steel for some reason. Now you have the same car, and you have one made out of aluminum. Now you get into an accident in the front. Now the steel subframe probably doesn't have a whole lot of give to it, and it may end up in your lap depending on what you hit and how hard and, and what angle. But if you have one with an aluminum subframe, it's probably going to crunch it like a beer can against Bluto's head from Animal House, and you're not going to have that aluminum subframe in your lap. You might have the engine in your lap because it's got to go somewhere, right? But steel is more rigid. It can be made thinner. And it can crumple if you design and manufacture it correctly, but aluminum does that job a little bit better. So is it better? It can be. Is it less safe? I don't think so. Uh, safety is not something that you can point to one material or another and say, oh, that's going to be safer than that. It's just not the way, it's just not the way safety is measured. I mean, if you've ever wrecked a car that had aluminum components on it, the aluminum components get wrecked really, really easy, but also absorb a lot of energy. Steel components don't get wrecked quite as easily. They will absorb some energy, but a lot of times they transmit it out of itself wherever it can go. Think about a steering column. If it's made out of aluminum or if it's made out of steel, which one would you rather press your body against at 90 miles an hour when you're hitting something? I'd rather press my body against the aluminum one. That's a good way to look at it, okay? So saying that aluminum components are less safe, it's just not something that's going to be true in all cases. Uh, Jumpstart, this is the next one. Uh, and we are getting towards the end. I, I apologize for the length. A jump start will recharge your battery. 
Yes and no. Now, as a mechanic, I had to learn this the hard way. But lots of times, if you have a car that has a really, really, really fucking dead battery, and you hook up a jump box or even jumper cables to the battery, battery is going to suck in all of the fucking juice it possibly can. And if you try to start the car, it's not going to let the starter have any. It, the starter might go, hey, man, I need some of that juice. And the battery's going to be like, no, fuck you. It's all for me. I give you all my power. I'm taking all this. I'm keeping it. Fuck you. A lot of times what you need to do is you need to hook the negative cable to something steel other than the battery. And the best idea is to hook it to the engine. Okay, If you have a jump point in your engine compartment, and I think a lot of a lot of cars manufactured nowadays do, you want to hook the positive to the positive terminal on your jump point under your hood, but you want to take the negative and hook it to something steel on your engine block. And a lot of them are made of aluminum, I know, but try to find something steel, like a bolt head or maybe a lifting bracket that was made out of steel that was that's still on the engine, or maybe even right to the fucking starter itself. Car will start right up because the starter itself is drawing off the power before the battery can get its greedy fucking mitts on it. I had to learn that one. I, well, I don't want to say I learned it the hard way. Somebody told me that one time and it worked. And I surmised in my mind that that's how it works, you know? And the other thing you want to make sure you do is that if you need to buy jumper cables, boys and girls, and I've seen this a million fucking times, uh, the, the guys who work in the detail department at the dealership I work at get cars in that were wholesaled and people leave shit behind in those things like crazy. And a lot of times they won't tell you anything about it, but they have to throw away gas cans and jumper cables all the time and every once in a while they'll say hey there's some jumper cables there you want them and i'll look at them and i'm like no i don't need speaker wire for anything it's like if you're gonna buy jumper cables and the reason for buying them is that you think perhaps someday in the future hopefully never but someday in the future you may need to use them you gotta buy good ones you gotta buy good thick heavy duty ones because those cheap, shitty ones that look like speaker wire are not going to help you out. They're not going to do the fucking job. They'll get really fucking hot, especially if they're not hooked up correctly. And they'll just fucking melt. And you're going to end up burning the paint off your car. And maybe whoever's trying to help you might fuck their car up. Especially if you hook it up backwards. Uh, I think that, you know, uh, really honestly, that a class should be taught to some of these people who have cars. And show them the correct and proper way to jumpstart a car and maybe the correct and proper way to check the tire pressures and maybe the correct and proper way to put gas in a car and put the gas cap on when they're fucking done. I think they could use a class and all that shit. Maybe how to drive a stick. Who knows? Maybe what a parking brake's really for. Maybe how to adjust the mirrors. Maybe why they shouldn't talk on their fucking phone. I don't know. That class, it would be short and unpopular, but no. You could do it. Here's another one. I've heard this a million fucking times and, and they, I don't buy the explanation for it. I do know that it did seem to me to be true because I did it a few times. It says you should never place a car battery on the ground. I think what the, the myth that I heard was you should never set it on cement. And somebody tried to explain to me that the cement is kind of a, a, a water-based sort of a building material and it keeps moisture in it and the moisture can conceivably draw the power out of a battery somehow or another uh i don't know if that makes any sense uh it doesn't it says here it doesn't make any sense anymore anyway but we go a long way out of our way to make sure we don't set batteries on concrete so maybe there's a shred of truth to it gotta be honest with you i don't know the, the actual answer to that one and i believe the way batteries are built nowadays is that they they're not going to do that they're not going to discharge any amount of cement. I mean, if you leave it on there for 10 years, obviously it, it is going to discharge them because a battery is just going to discharge anyway. And, and a battery that's 10 years old is not going to be worth a fuck, even if you never install it. It may be brand, brand new, but it ain't going to work. Okay. You're looking for a chemical reaction inside of a battery. And over a period of time, it just doesn't happen anymore. And that's why we replace batteries. 
They wear out, but don't throw them away. Get them recycled. It's important. A lot of nasty shit inside a battery. Hydro, uh, hydro, what is it? No, it's sulfuric acid. I almost said hydrochloric. It's sulfuric acid, and uh, there's lead plates in there, and there's probably hideously carcinogenic. Don't fuck with them. Don't pull the caps off them. Don't do that shit anymore. You don't need to. And don't set them on cement. I don't know if it's true or not. I'll, I'll find out if it is and let you know. It says here, placing a battery on concrete will not drain it at all, but this is the same guy who thought he could get his car painted for $1,000. So <laughs> American cars, here's, here's, this is literally, oh man, this thing just keeps going on and on. American cars are made in America. No, we know they're not. Uh, Japanese cars, German cars, Korean cars are all built here. And some of them are built over there. They're built all over the place. We have a global economy now. It's fucking us in the ass with the absence of chips for our cars. And that's why they're sitting at the assembly plants half built because certain shit isn't available. Yeah, there's really no car out there that's 100% American. None. I'm, maybe the Teslas are, but they, they're using materials from, a lot of materials from China for those batteries. So really saying it's an American car, really not correct. Cars are made all over the place. And good cars and bad cars are made all over the place, so... I don't want to get into that debate with you. ABS, here's the next one. ABS always reduces braking distance. Well, ABS exists for a specific reason. It doesn't have really anything to do with braking distance. It can. Uh, ABS stands for Automatic Braking System. And what it does is it allows you as a driver, when you're standing on the brake pedal, just standing on it, it allows you to steer around things and to remain in actual control of the vehicle while you do that. That's its purpose. It's not there to reduce or increase braking distance. Okay, now if you have a surface, a road surface with a low coefficient of friction and you're sliding, if you stand on the brakes, you will still be able to steer the car because there is a unit up there, the ABS unit has a pre-charge pump on it and it pumps the brakes for you very, very rapidly. And when you pump the brakes, any of you people from up north who've ever had to do this on cars that didn't have it, when you pump the brakes, you're able to steer the car. You're able to control where it goes. If you stand on the brakes in the car, that doesn't have ABS, the car's going to go wherever the fuck it wants. Physics is going to take over. The road crown of the road is going to take over. The Whether you're going uphill or downhill, whether there's a curb or whether, whatever, it doesn't matter. If you stand on the brakes and you don't have ABS, your car is going to continue to go straight. If you start going sideways and you have your foot on the brake, you, there is nothing on God's green earth you can do to stop it from going where it wants to go. But with ABS, it pumps the brakes so fast and you, you'll feel it. It'll feel like a pulsation on your foot. And you'll actually think that something's wrong because I think a lot of people have no idea how it works. But you'll be able to steer the car. You'll be able to drive through it and steer around a pole, a tree, a fire hydrant, another car, people maybe even. And hopefully it does not increase your braking distance too much. Okay. Now, in certain conditions, the ABS could make your braking shorter versus a car without it. Because if your car is stopping with ABS, you are going to have a different tread part of your tread on the tire stopping your car every few seconds, every few milliseconds, actually. But if you lock them up without ABS, you're going to have one spot on your tire, all four of them, where your car is just going to slide. It's going to be a toboggan. So it could conceivably shorten up your braking distance. It's really not designed to do that, but it could do it. Four-wheel drive cars brake quicker than two-wheel drive cars do? No, that's really not so true. Four-wheel drive cars are actually better at moving you through Stuff that reduces the coefficient of friction. It uh, increases attraction by driving more than just one wheel or two wheels 
or even possibly all four. Breaking, no effect on that whatsoever, okay? We're just going to gloss over that one. Here's one. You can mix coolant and tap water. Yes, you can. Is it recommended? Eh, I don't know. I don't think so, but I do it all the time. Now, if I can put tap water in my mouth and drink it, I could certainly put it into a fucking car. My car is not any better than me. I used to love that. I would get that every once in a while. Somebody would say, oh, you need to use distilled water with the antifreeze you're going to put into my car. I go, yeah, right. As, as I walk away, I grab my balls. I go, I got your distilled water right here. Fuck you. Listen, what they say here is that there's a lot of extra minerals in tap water. Okay, I got it. Yeah, there's extra shit in it. How long does that extra shit have to be in your cooling system before it fucks it up? A long fucking time. Because coolant itself has certain properties. Coolant, the ethyl glycol that you put in your engine to keep it from freezing, has certain properties to it that are going to keep the minerals and the shit in the water from kicking the shit out of your cooling system. Now, over time, obviously, coolant degrades. And then coolant, as it exists in your car, is a mix of water and ethyl glycol coolant. And you mix it to a certain point to create a freezing point that is lower, hopefully a lot lower, than how cold it gets where you live. Where I'm at in Texas... It typically, it did once, but typically it doesn't get that cold. So is it is it really super important that you check how good your coolant is and what it's going to be able to withstand as far as temperature goes? No, it's not that important. Up north, yeah, it's fucking really important. I can remember seeing cars that are frozen completely up. It's three degrees and you had almost pure water in them. Yeah, it'll crack the block, shoot the uh, freeze plugs out. The core plugs, yeah, it causes all kinds of fucking problems. Uh, whether or not there's minerals in it, I don't think anything cares. I mean, if you got straight water in your cooling system and it freezes up, are you going to give a fuck what kind of minerals are in it? No. You're going you're gonna to need to find a whole bunch of other minerals that were melted down and made into engine components, and you're going to have to replace them all. You need to keep track of what's going into your car. Do you need to be in one of these anal dickheads who says, oh, I need to use still, distilled water? Well, yeah, maybe it will help you. Do I feel like it's that important? I don't personally. If you think I'm wrong, fine. Hit me up and kill me on the uh, Facebook page. Go ahead. Like I said uh, in a couple weeks ago, I don't mind the criticism. If I'm wrong about that, uh, then I will gladly accept that I'm wrong. Uh, but I've had cars for years. Cooling systems don't seem to be a problem. I've used water in them. I've flushed them when necessary or when I thought they were necessary. Maybe if I used distilled water, I wouldn't have to flush them as often, but I'm still not flushing them that often anyway. So there you go. Here's one. This is just dopey as shit. Flush your coolant at every oil change? No, you don't want to do that. Coolant itself is a hazardous material. Can't be mixed with other fluids and can't just pour it on the ground. It needs to be recycled. It's very important. So you, you want to get the absolute maximum performance out of your coolant and coolant will do its job for a very long time. I've heard coolant actually referred to as lifetime coolant. Uh, I don't believe that because uh, wh whose lifetime are we talking about? Mine or the cars? I don't know. I like to quote I like to uh, suggest and recommend coolant flushes when I see that the coolant doesn't look like coolant. If it looks like shit or if it just looks like straight water or if it looks like shitty straight water, either way, I'm going to recommend a coolant flush because if you have shit, garbage, crap coolant in your car, you're, it's, it is going to cause problems. And maybe we should be cutting our coolant with distilled water, but we're not. Either way, if I look in there and I see it looks fine, not going to fuck with it. If I look into your cooling jug, and I do on every car, I look in there to make sure it's topped off, and then I get a look at what it looks like. And if it's nice and green or if it's blue or whatever color your antifreeze is, pink. I know some of the porches and the Volkswagens take the, the pink stuff. And the GMs with the Dex Cool have a pink stuff too, uh, which is different, by the way. A lot of these coolants, if they don't look right, out they come. I'm going to recommend we we get that shit the fuck out of there. And then also too, uh, something else that I think... a a few of our technician brethren don't do. I make sure I get all the old coolant out as much as possible. Obviously, there's always going to be some left behind, but I do try to endeavor to get all of it out as 
best I can. Because if I'm changing it because it looks like shit, I want all that shit out of there. And then I put in good, fresh stuff, okay? Uh, moving on. Airbags make seatbelts unnecessary. That is absolutely not true. Because airbags are designed to only go off at certain miles per hour. Did you know that? You probably did. You're mechanics, right? You should know that shit. Uh, seatbelts, they work all the time. Whether you're moving or stop, they work all the time, which is cool. Okay, you got your shit strapped in. Somebody runs into you, your seatbelt keeps you from flying out the windshield. You're probably going to live. Depends on how hard you get hit, obviously. Um, If you have airbags, they are going to absorb the energy of you moving at 100 miles an hour while the car is coming to a complete fucking stop. So that's good. So all that stuff's good. Uh, I was watching uh, the, 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 the movie the other night, Demolition Man, which is one of my favorites, simply because of a specific car called a 1970 Oldsmobile 442. It was a W32, by the way, but uh, built by some friends of mine, believe it or not. In that movie, they showed a unique safety device that they thought we would have in the future where the car in an accident fills completely up with foam, completely, and doesn't allow any movement on your part, and also doesn't allow anything to get at you. It provides an instantaneous mass of protective foam that will keep sharp objects and deadly objects and any other objects, for that matter, from getting at you and will also keep you from getting at them, which is brilliant. And if somebody's out there working on it, man, step it up. We need that because people are still dying, but mostly because they're just looking at their phone and not paying attention to where they're going. And if the phone will destroy the phone, that would be a good thing too. Now, that's actually the last thing on here. But uh, what I wanted to say, I wanted to comment on the on this article real quickly and then get off here, okay? Because Eric's going to have a devil of a time putting this one together. This is an article written by somebody who has uh, very negligible automotive mechanic skills, very, very uh, small amount of intelligence as far as the subject goes, and has just basically uh, phoned in content for this particular web page, this particular app. And this shit is out there, boys and girls. So if you're an auto mechanic and you're hearing some of these outrageous fucking things that these people are putting out there and you wonder where the fuck they're getting it from, here's where they're getting it from. They're learning what's up with cars from people who don't know what's up with cars. So if you have somebody out there who's trying to tell you some fucking crazy bullshit that's all fucking wrong, might want to ease up on them a little bit. As your Uncle Jimmy, I'm not going to do that, but you can if you want. Uh, You could ease up on them a little bit and maybe just straighten them out and just say, no, 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 what you read is all wrong. Just because it's on the internet does not mean it is true. And actually what I'm thinking about doing maybe is creating one of these sites for Grease the Wheels that, that gives people an idea of what the absolute truth is. Okay, and the truth is, is that everything that you could imagine could be true or it could be completely false. Some things that some people have experienced with a car and insist that you could experience with your car were so random and the odds are so astronomical that it ever happened in the first place that it's absolutely not likely to happen to you at all, ever. Unless you live to be like a million years old, some of the shit that they were talking about that happens to people is never going to happen to you never and if it happens very very often somebody would do something to eliminate it from happening we're kind of like that we've always tried to legislate against death and destruction and sometimes we're very good at that sometimes we're not so with that said as as a technician as an automotive technician as somebody who knows things and is familiar with the physics of how an automobile works and all the other assorted assorted shit that goes along with them try to straighten people out when you hear some bullshit like that that's one of the reasons for me pointing out these sorts of things is that that shit's out there and we need to fix it because we're the guys who fix everything anyway and we're the guys who are the best at fixing this kind of stuff so let's get out there and fix it let's uh, let's do the best job we can uh let's be good at what we do uh just want to say it real quick i appreciate what you do you know i do let's keep it up all right this is your uncle jimmy he's going to sign off right now and he's just going to say see ya